All right, welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot of show today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, none other than Max Burns, TYT contributor and Rebel HQ superstar. Should be a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day. Chris Rock comes out with a new special and Will Smith describes how a white male spat on him and he was just really upset, but he did not slap the person who did so. Where do I start? Go to the video. As the years have gone on, I've gotten more and more locked into these characters right. for longer yeah, period. periods of, mm -hmm. of time. And it's just the weight of this story, the weight of these experiences, the quality of the actors. Yeah. It was emotionally, it was physically, it was spiritually taxing. One of the first days on set, there was a scene with one of the actors. He leans down in my face and he says, you're a cold one, ain't you? And then he ad-libbed. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, makeup. <laughs> right? No, but it was like. You told me about that. I was like, whoa. Every actor on this set was taking it really, really seriously. Fascinating. White man spit on Will Smith. It is not in the script. It is unprofessional. It is uncalled for. And that was his reaction. <gasps> Black man makes a joke during an international event on stage that he doesn't like or that he pretended that he did not like because he laughed at it at first. And this was his response to Chris Rock. Now, sir, I need you to be consistent in your outrage. And here's the thing. It is interesting that Chris Rock is coming out with a comedy series or a comedy special, excuse me, known as Selective Outrage. Beautiful. Well done. Well done, dear sir. Let's go ahead and highlight the ways here. Everyone knows where I stand on this. I have maintained my stance from day one. Will Smith hit Chris Rock, not because of the bad joke, but because of his own ego or maybe insecurity. That is my opinion. I guarantee you, Will Smith would not have slapped Chris Tucker. He would not have slapped Will Ferrell. He would not have slapped Steve Harvey. It's a whole list of people that Will Smith would have never done that with. But there's this fascination with Hollywood, Hollywood. But you know why he did not have that kind of reaction to the white male that spat on him? Is because he knows the penalty of slapping a white man in Hollywood. Let's continue. Will Smith recalled being shocked when his Emancipation, which they say is a great movie, I have not seen it, co star went off his script and spit on him while filming the movie, the drama movie. He said, and I quote, as the years have gone on, I've gotten more and more locked into these characters for longer periods of time. Smith said in a teaser clip shared ahead of his takeover 
of Red Table Talk on Facebook Watch. As part of the latest episode of Red Table Talk, releasing on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, Smith will be discussing emancipation with his children, Trey, Jaden, and Willow. The Oscar winning actor plays an enslaved man. One of the first days on set, he says, there was a scene with one of the white actors, he said. And then he leans down to my face and says, you're a cold one, ain't you? Smith said, that is unnamed co-star, ad-libbed by spitting on him. Oh, I get it. If you believe it is an ad-lib, it is okay that it is offensive, unprofessional. You didn't like it. You had an emotional response to it. But as long as it is categorized as an ad lib, it is forgiven. Well, I decided to look up the word ad lib. Ad lib means spoken or performed without previous preparation. You know, kind of like a stand up comedy routine. A handful of jokes about Will Smith that Chris Rock is expected to reprise is in a new live comedy special on Netflix has already leaked in the media ahead of the performance. The comedian reportedly has plenty of funny things to say about the unfunny experience of being slapped in the face live on stage by the actor in last year's Academy Award ceremony. The new and updated material is expected to be revealed in Rock's selective outrage comedy special, which will be streamed live on Saturday night. Um, Chris Rock has, I think, handled this very well, not only professionally and personally, but also economically. By doing what he's doing, he is literally drawing all of the traffic to this Netflix special. Good for him, all right, good for him. Let's be very clear, it is ironic that Will Smith can have such a different reaction to somebody doing that to him. This is the same guy who walked on stage on live television, committed a criminal assault, set back down and nobody told him to leave. All right, here we go. My dear brother, Max, what are your thoughts here? Hey, thanks for having me, Dr. Richie, always Always. a privilege to be with you. I think Will Smith is is a challenge here because he does strike me as this sort of very out of touch celebrity type. He loves to over intellectualize his bad behavior. When Will Smith does something wrong, he will give you a hundred deep sounding reasons why psychologically that happened, but it never seems to change his actual behavior. And it just seems to me that you know this is someone who's not used to being told no, who's used to getting away with things and lets his impulses fly. But as we see here, when there's a paycheck on the line and, and he's in a role, he knows perfectly how to control himself and how to how to suck it up and keep going. And to your point, I think Chris Rock has nailed this. I mean, he turned getting slapped in the face into a multi-million dollar special. Yep. That's how you recover from something like this. Damn right. An exclusive update. All right. Remember, we were the first and only news agency to bring you this tragedy. A woman was jumped criminally assaulted inside of a Walmart. She comes out waiting on her father to pick her up. The officer gets upset at her, even though she's the victim, decides to arrest her anyway. 
even though she did nothing wrong. This is a hell of an update, all right? Let me give you the reminder, here it is. You know what they gonna do, right? I don't know. You know what You ain't gonna do nothing. You best go sit your little head down somewhere. That's the lad that look. Come on, let me explain something to you. The lad girl that got jumped out here at Walmart that said she was going to catch him one-on-one, -on -one, got a bullet dead to her chest. Mm -hmm. And she's six feet under right now. Yep. So if you want your one, go out there and get it and get yourself killed. Do what? Come here, then. I got something for you to hear. Come here. Come here. Come here. How old are you? How old are you? Yep, I got something for you to hear. Y'all not gonna, y'all see, y'all think it's a game around here. Come on. And they call my dad. I don't care. He can come on down to the police department and burn you out. Yep. Because I promise you, I ain't the one. Can you let go? Yep, when you get in this car. Get in this car. You better get in this car. She going to jail this order come down. It ain't got nothing to do with the fight. Yeah, she's 21. The only one disorderly, as I said when we first covered this, was the cop who arrested her for nothing. Now, I'm going to say something you have never heard me say before. The way the police chief has responded to Indisputable's reporting has been not only heartfelt, but probably one of the greatest responses any community could have hoped for. I will explain and qualify that in just a moment. Let's put up the picture, the young lady. She's a mother, new mother. She has a one year old. The young lady who was arrested, her name is Retta Hawkins. Now the Clarksdale, Mississippi police chief, has now reviewed the case and acted. That's the police chief, all right? His name is Chief Robbie Lindley. Let's keep his picture up. When I first reported on this story, I said at the end of that segment, I said, Chief, buck stops with you, waiting on your next move. We expect to have a response soon, but you're in charge, okay? Let me tell you what this chief has done. In just a moment, Roretta Hawkins told Indisputable that Chief Lindley, the man you're looking at, after our original exclusive reporting, reached out to remedy the situation. She already paid $1,500 to a lawyer, and she already paid $150 to get bonded out of jail. Now her charges are completely dismissed and there's more. She also says the Clarksdale police officer, let's put him up. That guy is the one who arrested her. L. Jamaro Peters um, destroyed her phone after the incident according to the report. Hawkins says she wants the officer relieved of duty so he doesn't do this again to anybody else. Uh, he is, in fact, suspended pending investigation. Hawkins was visiting the Clarksdale Walmart to pick up baby items. 
and meet her brother who works there, okay? In front of the store, she says she confronted two teens who were mocking her. And she said, are you laughing at me? The teens followed her to the baby aisle, okay? The teens are actually talking to the police. In the baby aisle, Rowretta says one of the teens grabbed her hair and pulled her to the ground before store staff broke up the fight. Now remember, they were not arrested. Why? We don't know. We're not sure. Um, it is possible that Walmart did not want that stain on their record as far as a violent act happening inside of the store. They'd rather a person just be arrested for obstruction, which is not a violent act according to the category. Rowretta said both teams were charged with disturbing the peace. And a younger teen was charged with simple assault. Hawkins thanked Indisputable for highlighting the incident by saying, and I quote, Oh, I thank you guys so much because I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened without your help. And then the chief, let's put up the letter he sent Indisputable. So Chief Lindley sent a lengthy apology for his officer's action. He sent this directly to Indisputable. The statement reads in part, I have apologized to her for the action of the Clarksdale Police Department during this incident. These actions do not meet standards that I expect out of a Clarksdale police officer when it comes to the treatment of a citizen in Clarksdale. We have been able to file charges on the two females that were involved in the altercation with Ms. Hawkins inside of the Walmart with the Youth Court of Kohama County for their review, which is something he corrected that the first officer did not do. I have completed the investigation to the officer. He has been disciplined for his actions for this incident. The officer understands what he did was wrong on an overall ethical basis and procedural basis. However, we have an ongoing discussion in the department on the proper use of police authority and not abusing that authority just to get a desired outcome. Such ends justify the means policing philosophy has long been outdated. And we are moving forward in this police department. We will use this incident to be proactive and teach our officers to better exemplify service with courteousness and help prevent this type of incident from occurring again, again as chief. I feel that all citizens should be treated fairly and with respect during any altercation or interaction with a Clarksdale police officer. Um, the man actually remedied the situation directly with her. The chief contacted her and to my understanding, personally, gave her the money back that she paid for an attorney and to be bonded out. Something I would not have even thought about doing or putting it upon a cop to do so or a chief to do so. It is, um, let's put it back up. Uh, it is definitely an honor, I will say this chief, it is an honor to be able to say how stand up your response has been, period. I appreciate you, we appreciate you. You stood up for this young black woman, this young mother in ways that the officer did not. Thank you. All right, Max thoughts here. Hey, this is indisputable in action. I mean, this is an incredible result and it's proof to me that this is not the way things need to be. This idea of police impunity, that departments will stand by their officers no matter what. 
Here is a chief who showed that all you need to run a department ethically is someone ethical at the top, right. willing to make the tough decisions and do things that are right. And part of what's so powerful about this for me is that we talk a lot about the ethics of police. But this program and your approach, one of the few that actually talks about procedure and how a lot of these officers are violating their own laws. And this chief is the first one I've seen in a long time to actually acknowledge that this was a violation of process. It was wrong and make no excuses. It gives me a lot of faith and I hope that that other departments will take the example of this because it's ended up well for everyone yep. except you know justifiably the officer who did wrong. Yeah, and it ended up well for him too and here's why. He needed to learn, he needed to learn yep. a lesson. And in that process, he was able to learn a proper lesson about how to treat citizens. Obviously, he needed the education. So in my opinion, that was good too. Unbelievable, but it happened. Uh, New York City officials misspelled the name of Jackie Robinson on an actual expressway to honor the guy. Uh, it was extreme. Let's put it up full mass. This doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> at all. You literally have to go through a lot of different processes to get this thing done. Okay? The approval, the template, the actual striking of it, delivering it, putting it up, all of it. They spelled Jackie wrong in Jackie Robinson. The New York City Department of Transportation ended Black History Month by misspelling the name of Jackie Robinson. The agency misspelled the name of the first African American to play Major League Baseball in the modern era, Jackie Robinson on one of its signs for the five mile thoroughfare that runs from Jamaica Avenue, Brooklyn through the Grand Central Parkway in Kew Gardens, all right? The road sign read uh, Jackie Robinson, J-A-K-I-E, Parkway, leaving the C out of the Baseball Hall of Famers tribute. Uh, now, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of speculation. People are saying, oh, this had to be intentional. The C may stand for colored, and that's why they took it out. All kinds of speculation. Uh, okay, I understand, right? But we do know that it was wrong. Never should have happened. We can all agree to that. So on Sunday, February 26, all right? Sunday, February 26, people started to notice the error. The botch sign features a picture of Robinson in the classic batter's pose above the text. And is located in Myrtle or located at Myrtle Avenue and Forest Park Drive. That's according to the New York Post. Queens Councilman Robert Holden blasted the DOT for misspelling the Brooklyn Dodgers name. He said, and I quote, not only can't the central planners, plural, at New York City DOT move traffic smoothly and safely, but they can't even spell. Damn, councilman. He then says the DOT needs a major overhaul. They're a mess, he tweeted. Politician also said to the press, this spelling mistake is absurd. You don't have a few eyes looking at these signs, question mark. DOT is a mess, adding this is a slap in the face. Jackie Robinson means a lot to me. 
I was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, many others were outraged. The next day, according to CBS News, Department of Transportation spokesperson Scott Gastel said the sign was replaced. Before it was renamed in 1997, the Jackie Robinson Parkway was known as the Interborough Parkway. The city renamed the strip to honor the 50th anniversary of his historic rookie season when he broke the color line barrier in 1947 as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers team. The same year of the renaming, Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig permanently retired Robinson's number 42. No player after Rivera, who had already had the number before the late 1990s, will ever wear the number again. In 1947, when Robinson joined the MLB, he was named the MLB Rookie of the Year after batting almost 300 batting average, hitting 12 home runs, stealing 29 bases. Two years later, in 1949, he became the MVP, batting a whopping 342 on base average, amazing. Now, let me say this, first of all, obviously, the councilman has a point. Too many people had to look at this to not know, that's number one. But the carelessness of it all, you mean to tell me that nobody knew that Jackie is spelled Jackie and not Jakey? Nobody understood this, nobody knew this. Nobody said, you know what, let's double check, let's just Google. I mean, if you don't know who Jackie Robinson is, all right, that's weird, but okay. Uh, but you do have Google, you can master Google. Everybody can be a master at Googling. Nobody at the Department of Transportation thought to do so. Uh, the councilman has a point. Now, naturally, I can see the councilman did not like you all already. I know that, it's clear. But damn, you gave him enough ammunition to probably get rid of the whole leadership department. Max thoughts here. This is classic New York DOT. I, I worked in <laughs> Albany in state government for a few years. We had a lot of interactions with DOT. When a light went out on a street, it took five layers of DOT officials I had to go through to get that permit and get that fixed. There is no way that at least a dozen people did not look at this sign and sign off on it. And I can tell you what happened is that someone got to Friday, wanted to go home, and just checked it off and sent it to the printers who didn't look at it. And it's a shocking amount of disrespect for Jackie Robinson and his family. And at a time when people are already questioning whether our city government can handle basic tasks, this isn't a great statement of confidence. Not at all. All right, we got more. The other side is indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing viewer comments. All right, don't have time to read them all, but thank you for joining the conversation. Uh, Biden flavor corn pop says, yes, what the F is Smith doing here? This is still a deep reaction to let a white man get away with an act. He never let a black man do without jumping up and slapping you <laughs> deep. He wouldn't do it for most black men either. I'm telling you, it was a Chris Rock thing, all right? He believed that Chris Rock would not hit him back. And that's why he did that. Uh, Biden, Flavor Corn Pop also said, love Max Burns. Yes, when the paycheck is on the line, Smith picks and chooses. Max, you want it here, yeah, I agree. America Needs a Reboot says, I bet you won't spell Frank Sinatra's name wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Yeah. In New York. Uh, let's thank you so much, V. Love you, Dr. Richie. This is classic NYCDOT. The commentator is on point. I live in a neighborhood that has been asking for a traffic light for 20 years due to accidents. The DOT is horrible. Meredith uh, Relina Dragon Putvin is classic DOT in any city state in this country, unless you got pulled with a member of the city council. Hell, the city councilman said he can't even get them to do their job. So, yeah. Uh, Donald Trump's bone spurs, welcome to Indisputable. Thank you so much for joining and supporting. Uh, and Spectrophonic, the doctor is making waves in the police community. I love it, direct action with results and reporting along the way. That's right, that's the point to be effective. All right, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're, you're Back off! I'm There's more, here it is. Go home, go home. She's not taking them home. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Dog. Honey, are you responsible dog behavior? Yeah. 
No, she didn't get folks know, but you shouldn't even be putting him in this situation. She just left. The dog part. And he's going to attack another dog. Jackie, I'll see you Come here, girl. Come on, baby. You gotta go. No, 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 no. Are you f***ing I have the whole thing on tape. I'm going to send it to the authorities. I mean, considering the dog's home situation, he actually turned out okay. All right, you got to do better, okay? We may have to call for an end of dog parks in particular communities just for a minute. So we can analyze the situation, see what's going on around the country. I'll put up the picture full mass. So let me give you the background according to the person who uploaded the video. The uploader says, and I quote, prior to recording, this woman's dog attacked and pulled another dog out of the owner's arm. Instead of leaving, she got defensive and yelled at people while her dog went after four more dogs. The guy with the man bun shoved the dog to break up a fight and then later came back and kicked her dog in the face. I didn't get either of his movements on camera. He should have never hurt the pup. They are both in a wrong, but this whole crisis could have been avoided if she took her dog to the big dog park, all right? Fascinating stuff. I'm not a dog park guy. I know many people who are, some of my friends are, all right? Max, thoughts here. But I'll tell you, I, I felt the whole range of human emotions watching this. I mean, it had everything. There's a man bun guy, there's animal abuse, <laughs> there's a dog pile of moms. But I, I think what, what says the most is she left her dog at the end. And for people who, who cannot, care for animals or who are abusive to animals, I think says a lot about their personalities and their yeah. engagement with people around them. And it's a huge red flag. I, I don't know what happened after this incident, but I hope there was some accountability for her because that is indefensible to, to leave your dog for one and to leave a dog that's been attacking other dogs. It's it's crazy, everyone lost their minds here. Yeah, Yeah, it was a wild situation. I had to watch it a few times to understand exactly what was going on. Okay, I got a question for you. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. to the flag of the United States of America, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the former president of the United States just dropped a mixtape with individuals who are currently incarcerated for terrorism. Let's put up the Justice for All album cover. 
listen. Saturday Night Live, they are not creative enough to come up with a skit like this. Donald Trump and a group of individuals currently incarcerated for their alleged involvement in the January 6th terrorist attack against the United States government to overthrow democracy as we know it, to shred the US Constitution. Those incarcerated gentlemen who will likely even plead guilty for their offenses, they have now collaborated with the former president and they have a mixtape together called Justice for All, hashtag J6PC. Listen, I I need Democrats to get more creative. This, this is a whole nother level here. Who saw this coming? Nobody. Okay, there are a lot of crazy things that Trump has done. Much of it has been predictable, okay? Much of it has been. Uh, when he does it, we don't say, oh my God, I can't believe he did it. What's up? That's Donald Trump. But this, who would have said, you know, Trump about to drop a mixtape with the Jan 6 people? Content of the song, let me give it to you. Uh, the track. <laughs> All right, the track has Donald Trump reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, like he like he's a featured rapper. Um, the stars uh, to the Star Spangled Banner, uh, which is performed by a group of about 20 inmates called the J, the J6 Prison Choir, housed at the Washington DC jail. The song ends with the inmates chanting USA. Profits are slated to benefit the families of people imprisoned after their alleged roles in the terrorist attack left five people dead. I mean, what in the hell are you supposed to say during a news commentary about this? The people are locked up because they tried to overthrow the government. When did they have time, DOJ, when did they have time? to come together and record a damn mixtape. How did this happen? Um, this is insane, obviously. Uh, but once again, Donald Trump is able to rush to the bottom. It's a race to the bottom. Things like this, his base cares about. They care about this. This means something to them. This will get them excited. People will make money because folks will download it. Some out of interest, curiosity, and others out of their perverted sense of patriotism. But here's the thing, Donald Trump has not been canceled. Keep in mind, Donald Trump had dinner with someone openly anti-Semitic, openly racist against black people, openly biased against women in general. Does he get canceled? Of course not. He then engages in this kind of collaboration with those who have been arrested and charged. And many, I promise you, will plead guilty for attacking the United States Capitol. He does an album with them. Will he be canceled? No. You have to ask yourself a question here. How is he remaining relevant? Remember all of the other Trump cronies who had their battles, they are no longer relevant, okay? Rudy Giuliani is no longer relevant, right? People that have engaged in the way Trump engaged, many of them not relevant. 
Trump still is. There's a big why here. All right, Max, thoughts here. Now I'll tell you, I don't think I like music anymore. <laughs> Period. They, they really screwed up. I mean, they should have got Kanye West. And it, he would have got canceled. Interesting though, I agree with them completely. Right. Justice for all, and, and in their case, justice is exactly where they should be, which is yeah. behind bars, or in some cases, pleading guilty to sedition. And to your point, I'm worried that all these guys are spending all their time together in prison. Isn't that normally what we call a gang if they weren't white? Uh, but, but instead of you know fighting other inmates, they're releasing choral rap tracks, I guess. Yeah. It really is, it's not gonna make it to my Spotify top 10, but I'm sure it's gonna fleece the pockets of a lot of MAGA faithful loyalists who will buy anything Donald Trump tells them to buy. Yeah, it's fascinating. How did this get coordinated? Who was the liaison? Who got them together to do the song? Who got the track over to Donald Trump? Who mixed it at the studio? This is where we are, the twilight zone. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments, keep them coming. Okay, America needs a reboot says I could tell the right's favorite movie is a Jojo Rabbit, but for all the wrong reasons. Donald James X, thank you so much, Donald. I'm just hoping that Karen's dog doesn't get destroyed because of an ignorant ass. That was my first sentiment. Like, man, that's that's a really nice dog, just in a bad situation, probably. All right, Meredith Lena Dragon Putman, thank you. Oh, my aching assets. Just when you think the bar couldn't get any lower, Trump says, hold my beer. That's right, I mean, this is one creative scumbag. I mean, damn. I'm mad that Democrats don't do stuff like this, to be quite honest with you, okay? It's creative, got people's attention. It's gonna make the base very excited. Uh, Trump mixtape, Pokeboy underscore 808. Who saw it coming? Nobody, because this is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm not gonna say this other part, but I get you. I get your sentiment there. Um, yeah. All right. One of the most ironic stories I have ever reported: a border patrol agent for years deporting individual out of America was himself undocumented. And is on the other side of the law. Now, put up the picture full mass. You won't believe it, but it happened. 54 year old Raul Rodriguez, a former US Border Patrol agent who routinely deported people, learned he also was an undocumented immigrant himself. Lost his job as a result of the fact that he was undocumented. Now the American Navy veteran is trying to help veterans facing deportation. His career came to a halt after he filed a visa application for his brother. And federal investigators checking his background confronted him with a Mexican birth certificate with his name on it in 2018. There's more, Rodriguez later confirmed with his father 
that his American birth certificate was a fake. And that he was a Mexican national in the US without permission. Border Patrol fired him, saying his lack of US citizenship made him ineligible to work there. His friends and former colleagues at the agency spurned him. And immigration authorities began working to deport him. Wow. Advocates for former officer Rodriguez later argue that his past work for the US government could make him a target either for violent drug cartels controlling Mexico's drug trade or other criminals south of the American border. Oh, I get it. The same argument that they make, he's making. But when they made it, he deported them. Now he's making the same argument. It is unsafe for me to go there. There's more. Argued that this could make him a target either of the violent drug cartels controlling Mexico's drug trade or the criminals south of the American border. They also noted that he had a clean military record. And his wife, Anita, a US citizen and immigration services employee, was an American citizen, in fact. An immigration judge in November ultimately granted Rodriguez what is known as a cancellation of removal, which gives him the chance to become a legal US resident. But only 4,000 such cases are approved annually. Most people didn't even think it existed. CNN reported Sunday that Rodriguez is spending at least some of that weight volunteering for an organization named Repatriate Our Patriots, which aids people who served in in the American military without having permission to be in in the US and are now facing deportation. Yes, you can do that. You can serve in the military not have citizenship, they're okay with it, all right? Um, Let's go to the uh, picture here, it's really interesting, okay? You got D Vega, the group's chief operations and outreach officer, reached out to Rodriguez after his wife wrote about him on social media a few years ago, out of work and collecting disability benefits stemming from a head injury during his Navy service. Rodriguez agreed to use his knowledge of the immigration system to help advocates track down veterans in immigration custody. While he still believes that immigration laws should be obeyed, he said he now grasps that even migrants trying to follow the rules down to the letter face major impediments. I was blind, Rodriguez said of his earlier life. I didn't see what was going on, he added. I've been on both sides and I sympathize even more now because of what I went through. Um, I have mixed feelings about this story, just to be frank with you. I understand the dynamic reality of transformation. I am a transformed man myself. I also understand that in order to help somebody, in order to do right, in order to be decent, it should not require you have the experience in order to have the heart. I am glad he has changed his line of thinking. His overview has obviously transformed. He is now an advocate on the right side of this debacle known as uh, illegals. And by the way, nobody, no human being is illegal. But he engaged in that process. And based on his comment, he is still somewhat there. Please keep in mind, the same law 
And I always say this to my college students because I want them to understand what's at play. The same federal law that says it is illegal to work in this country undocumented. The subsection of the federal law says it is illegal to hire them. But when you see six or 700 undocumented workers being arrested, you know who's not being arrested? The people who hired them, who recruited them, who fudged the documents, manipulated the data, did not submit the information that they were mandated to submit because they were working the system, so to speak. You don't see them getting arrested. That's a point. And that point should have been the one point that this border security agent questioned. All right. Uh, but I'm glad now, sir, you're on the right side, uh, advocating for those who need it. Max thoughts. What a story. I mean, do I wish that Mr. Rodriguez would have seen the light on immigration long ago and never participated in in this border patrol process? Yeah, but now that he has, I think he has a responsibility to share that voice and his experience with people in a way that he's doing now and even more so. I mean, it was not that long ago that Democrats and Republicans in 2014 or close to an immigration bill that would have said, if you serve in the military, if you serve the government and and you've done it for a few years and you haven't committed crimes, you can become a citizen. But the people in power now, those Republican extremists blocked that and put this man in that position and almost destroyed his family. Yep. And I, I just hope that he turns this experience into a powerful sort of new life that that is giving voice to these people who don't have it because it is a terrible thing to go through and it is uh, he is incredibly lucky that he is still here. Yeah, well said, very well said. All right, there's a bill, a potential law that would mandate bloggers in the state of Florida if they're writing about Governor Ron DeSatan they actually would have to register in order to write anything about the governor. And if they do not register, they could face an actual penalty. I kid you not, this is a serious bill. Put up the non-serious person who is presenting it. Florida Senator Jason Broder wants bloggers who write about Governor Ron DeSantis and other members of the Florida government to register with the state. Or face fines. This is so insane. The proposal is Senate Bill 1316. Information dissemination, it is called, would require any blogger, blogger to register with the Florida Office of Legislative Services or the Commission on Ethics. Explicitly, the blogger rule would not apply to newspapers or similar publications only applies to an opinion based industry known as blogging. So the good senator of Florida said, paid bloggers are lobbyists. What? No, no, they're not, they're paid bloggers, sir. But he says paid bloggers are lobbyists who write instead of talk, they both are. Professional electioneers. If lobbyists have to register and report, why shouldn't paid bloggers? Uh, let's put the senator back up. He's slow. Put him back up. 
Uh, sir, because they're bloggers, they're not lobbyists, that's why. You understand the difference? See, a lobbyist is hired by an entity and that entity is engaged in the professional, the professional, the professional industry of influencing legislation only. As a matter of fact, your Georgia law, excuse me, your Florida law says that even if a person is professionally involved, they must be professionally involved for a certain percentage of their work. In other words, there's an allowance if the individual is engaged in professional lobbying, but it is not primarily their position with that company and it is allowed for them not to register. So you need to look up your own laws, but pay bloggers. In the bill, the senator wrote that those who write an article, a story or a series of stories about the governor, the lieutenant governor, a cabinet officer or any member of the legislature. That's really what he was trying to get at. And receives or will receive payment for doing so, must register with the state offices within five days after publication of an article that mentions an elected state official. You do realize this runs afoul of the US Constitution. These cats don't give a damn about freedom of speech, freedom of press, anything. They don't care about that. Completely adversarial to the Constitution, 100%. And then he picks on an industry he doesn't think can fight back. So he says bloggers and then explicitly in the bill, it says, but don't worry, newspapers. No, 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 we're not talking about your news agencies, not, not, not talking about you. Uh, to those agencies in Florida, if you don't stand with bloggers, please understand they're knocking on your neighbor's door right now. But if you don't stand up with these bloggers, they will be knocking on your door next, all right? Please don't fall for it, stand with the bloggers out of principle, out of principle. There's more. In another blog post, if another blog post is added to a blog, the blogger would then be required to submit monthly reports on the 10th of each month with the appropriate state office. They would not have to submit a report on months when no content is published. Oh, that's very kind of you, Senator. For blog posts that concern an election member or an elected member, of the legislature or an officer of the executive branch. Monthly reports must be disclosed. The amount of compensation received for the coverage rounded to the nearest $10 value. If compensation is paid for a series of posts for a specific amount of time, the blogger would be required to disclose the total amount to be received upon publication of the first post in said series with time frame. Additional compensation must be disclosed later on. Remember. The freedom of speech dynamic, it actually covers speech that somebody either A, wrote for you, paid you to do. So let me ask you this, what if you are a paid speaker, Senator? And you go and you talk against DeSantis and you receive money because you are the paid speaker. Your honorarium is a check, but your speech criticized DeSantis. Would the rule apply? Because that person was paid to speak and say something negative about the governor. Why is this happening? This is happening because Florida, as I've said before, you all are a lab experiment for the mad scientist known as the Satan. 
He is experimenting on you. Sometimes he uses cronies, other times he does it more direct. But he is creating chaos when no issue was even there. Have you heard of community members in Florida complaining about bloggers? Hell no. This is not a problem for them. This is not something to solve, to help community members. This is literally a bill only to help the elite in the conservative party in Florida. That's it, there's more. Um, Failure to file, let's get into the penalty. So if you fail to file or register with the state, if the bill passes would lead to daily fines for the bloggers with a maximum amount per report, not per writer of $2,500. The per day fine is a $25 per report for each day it is late. The bill also requires that bloggers file notices of failure to file a timely report the same way that lobbyists file their disclosures and reports on assessed fines. Fines must be paid within 30 days of payment notice unless an appeal is filed with the appropriate office. Fine payments must be deposited into the legislative lobbyist registration trust fund if it concerns an elected member of the legislature. For writing about members of the executive branch, fines will be made payable to the executive branch lobby registration trust fund. Or if it concerns both groups, the fine may be paid to both related trust funds and in equal amounts. Damn. Uh, People are going to say yes to this bill. Hell, DeSantis probably thought of it himself and told this cat to present it. Um, Clearly a violation of many protocols, but think about what they're doing. Being a lobbyist is an actual industry. It is a professional industry. Bloggers are not part of that professional industry. They did not register, they are not hired by a company in order to engage in that professional dynamic. But they're going to automatically grandfather them in, basically, make them lobbyists. And then make them suffer the penalty for not being compliant to the lobbyist rules. That's like not being an attorney, but because you say legal things, the bar says, we're going to just treat you like an attorney. And you now have to start paying fees to us as if you are a lawyer. It's insane, nobody would ever think that's credible. But that is exactly the type of scenario you have in Florida. Potentially, Max thoughts here. I hope I'm not the only one scared by the fact that this lawmaker doesn't seem to actually know what lobbyists do or what their requirements are. Fun fact, in Florida, if you are a lobbyist right now and you commission a blog post to chain to affect legislation, you already have to report that on your lobbying form. The only reason they're going after bloggers here is because places like the Miami Herald and the Sun Sentinel have big old legal teams. They would fight this as the First Amendment attack it is. When you're fighting individual bloggers, you're just hoping to intimidate them. They know there is no legal ground for this. It is complete nonsense and an attack on basic journalistic freedom. Well said. All right, horrific story, a black child taped to a chair by teacher and classmates. Put up the picture for a mask, such a damn shame. This happened on February 22nd, 10 year old Zai Johnson 
was allegedly taped to a chair during class by a teacher at Crosby Elementary School in Texas. Let me give you a background on the incident. According to the child, the teacher snatched him by the arm after he had completed his lunch period and set him in the seat. The educator is accused of calling on two other students to support her as she taped him, asking one to hold his arm and the other one to get more tape for her. The mother says her son told her he was taped around his waist and allowed to have his arms free. When the teacher left to return the tape to another teacher, a few students allegedly started to hit young Zai in the head. He was defenseless. The child said he tried to block his face from getting hit. My son has dwarfism, he's 10, but he doesn't look like he is, Johnson said. He tells me one of the students told him, I'm going to slap you as hard as Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Zai also suffers chronic migraines that started to flare up during the incident. The 10 year old broke free of the tape, went to sit down in the cool down area of the classroom. He said, as he said in the area, the teacher walked over to him and asked him, you know I was just playing with you. Shortly after sitting in the cool down area, Zai asked if he could see the nurse. When allowed, he went to the school nurse and told her what happened. The mandated reporter did not alert an official or the child's parents. The nurse is mandated to do so, but did not. Later after the school days, after the school day was over, one of the assistant principals called Johnson and told her the disturbing news, okay? The official told her the reason why young Zai was taped up was that he wouldn't be still. The mom said she had never received a report that her son was disruptive in the woman's class. After being reported, the teacher was placed on administrative leave by the Forney Independent School District. An investigation into the incident takes place. The school district spokesperson, Kristen Zastupo, said, and I quote, there are two sides to every story, two sides. And we need to allow time for the investigation process to take place before commenting further. That has to be one of the silliest damn statements I've ever heard coming from a school system. A child is abused, tied up, protocols are dismissed. Child is attacked while being tied up. The nurse did not report as duty bound. Two sides of the story. All right, well, we'll see what happens this week or next week. Here is Crosby Elementary School Principal Wendy Bailey. Put it up and the superintendent. Dr. Justin Terry, the child's mother is asking for the school to turn over surveillance tapes to corroborate her son's story. She also claimed that both the principal and the assistant principal admitted to doing it. And the teacher's name is being withheld by the district. Please, somebody leak that damn name to me. Leak it to me, I know exactly what to do with it. It's horrible, sad, action, inappropriate. We will stay on top of this story until there is an appropriate remedy. Max thoughts here. 
I mean, this is every parent's nightmare. I mean, what this isn't even something that a teacher could argue is some kind of throwback educational disciplinary measure. This is essentially just torture and public humiliation of a kid. Yeah. And we disproportionately see this happen with students of color. And not only is this perpetrated on them, but when they report it to people who are legally obligated to tell law enforcement and authorities, we find that system completely breaks down. I mean, these are kids who are invisible and voiceless. And you just have to wonder how many other times this has happened that it has not been reported. Yeah, yeah, because you don't all of a sudden get that comfortable to do something like that one time. Something yeah, else. That's nobody's first choice. That's right, that's right, brother. Always a pleasure, my friend, having you on the program. Tell people they can follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, you can check me out on Rebel HQ or on Twitter at TheMaxBurns. Until next time. Thanks. All right, we got more. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Miss Michelle Eisen, Starbucks barista and Starbucks Workers United organizer. Now let me say this before we get into the interview. Naturally, Starbucks presents itself as a progressive business. However, when it comes to some actual progressive policies, they tend to be quite corporate and maybe even more restrictive than many. Let's talk about all of it. Ms. Eisen, good day. Thank you for being on Indisputable. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's get right into it. You are a barista at the um, Elmwood Avenue Starbucks, that's in Buffalo, New York. Um, you helped organize the first unionization or unionized Starbucks store. There's an opportunity uh, for individuals to testify about what this all means and how this has impact to the labor force. But there's an issue. So give us what's happening at Starbucks now. Um, well, what's happening currently is them continuing to fight this union effort tooth and nail to the point of blatantly breaking US labor law to do it. Um, and what is going on currently is that uh, Bernie Sanders has asked for a hearing uh, with the health committee and he's asked our current CEO, interim CEO, founder, whatever you'd like to call him, Howard Schultz, to come and testify and, and answer some questions about the company's behavior in the last 18 months. And um, to nobody's surprise, Howard has declined the invitation. Um, and so there's a lot of talk right now about the potential of using subpoena power to have him come in and testify anyway. What is your thinking about the reasoning he would not offer testimony? And I say this because while he was the CEO or at least active, he talked a lot. He talked a lot. He went on news stations often. He went to colleges and provided sit down lectures. He talked all the time, he even did a video series and just posted it online of him talking. Why do you think now he doesn't wanna talk? Well, I mean, he certainly loves to talk. You are not incorrect there. What he doesn't like to do is, is answer for his actions or the actions of the company. and. What's going to happen in this hearing, should he be you know, brought in to testify, is he'll have to answer some very serious questions. It's it's kind of fascinating because I've, I've been with the company 12 years. I've had a lot of um, Howard exposure, if you'd like to call it that. And uh, 
he's constantly saying, you know, we don't need a union at this company because the workers already have a voice. But anytime he's ever been put in a position to talk to workers face to face in a way, in a form that isn't controlled by him, um, he he flees or he finds a way to to deny the workers their opportunity to have those conversations. And in this situation, especially hearing like this, he doesn't he won't have anywhere to go. You know, he'll be forced to answer some some very um, serious questions about some very serious behavior on behalf of the company and himself. And I think that's scary. One of the most shocking stats to me is this, the NLRB has issued over 65 official complaints against Starbucks, encompassing over 1300 violations. That by way of statistical comparison makes Starbucks one of the worst violators of federal law in American history. How has that never become a story? You know, it's a it's a very good question. Just two days ago here in Buffalo, we got the the um, ruling on the very big ULP unfair labor practice hearing that happened here over the summer, and it was a staggering 204 page decision from this ALJ and shocking. I mean, when you read what what came of this investigation and this hearing. You can't look at this company and call them progressive. You can't look at Howard and say you're you're the founder of a company and CEO of a company that's taking care of its workers. You're abusing your workers at every possible turn as soon as they say the word union or organized. Um, I don't know why the media ha has been so afraid to focus on that. You would think that this would be a huge, you know, if anything, a huge media hit, but it's very clear that. You know, you don't want to anger the supposed progressive company, right? Um, it's just really from the inside out, it's not a progressive company. I mean, you hit the nail on the head at the beginning yeah. of the introduction. They are, they're anything but. Let's talk about some of the nuances in protocol management, etc. Uh, you've been with the company for a very long time. You're still with the company. Yes. Okay. Now, have you seen retaliation when people do what you do? And are you in fear of the company having retaliation against you? I mean, I've witnessed retaliation from the onset of this, going back to just a few days, mere days after we announced this organizing campaign back in August of 2021. We saw an onslaught of well over 100 members of corporate and upper management shipped into Buffalo to infiltrate our stores and to surveil and to intimidate workers. We were called into captive audience meetings where workers were essentially told, if you wanna be paid for your shift, you have to attend this non-mandatory meeting. Wow. Um, I mean, it was, an, it was an abuse of their power. They came in, you know, you're, you're sitting across the room from a, the, the president of Starbucks North America who makes $4 million a year and you're listening to her tell you that you're both the same, that the company cares about both of you the same and you're both partners. And you know it's really a very intimidating atmosphere to be a part of and people suffered from it. You know, Workers were calling in sick because they couldn't take the pressure of coming into work and being surveilled for their entire shift. You, it shouldn't take an act of bravery to organize your workplace. You know that it shouldn't take that. This is a right in this country, and we should have the right to execute that without fear of retaliation from you know our corporate overlords. Starbucks is one of the richest companies on the planet. What are they afraid of? And and I say this in a particular context. 
you keep fighting this, you keep showing yourself to be antithetical to what you promote as a brand. You end up disconnecting your brand from the people who support it. You have a risk of losing way more money in the fight than you would in simply a negotiation. So why do you think they have been so hardcore against a common dynamic known as negotiation? Let's have a conversation. I mean, I'll be completely honest with you. We're fighting Howard Schultz's ego. Mm, I mean, that's just wow. the reality of the situation. The company, you're right. The company can absolutely afford. It would have been more cost effective to get to the bargaining table and negotiate a contract, you know, from the moment that we won back at last December. That's right. But this is his life's work, so he says. It's something he's clearly very proud of, and it can't be easy to hear that your creation, your life's work, is not as good as you think it is. And so, what he continues to say is, our company is already so amazing. We already give a voice to our workers. We we don't need a third party, as he keeps saying. The union is a third party. And when you remind him that the union is not a third party, it's his hourly workers standing up and saying, listen, we were treated like crap in the middle of a global pandemic while you brought in billions upon billions of dollars. We'd like to have a voice in our working conditions, please. He says, "Oh, I'm giving you a voice. You've always had a voice. The reality is we've never had a voice. And as I said before, anytime there's ever been a forum to sort of initiate those conversations, he has fled. He's literally fled the room. He came to Buffalo at the end of our organizing campaign, uh, right before our vote count, where he held a big forum. And when a worker stood up and said, "We want to ask you some questions," he literally stood up and fled the room. You know, this is not a man who actually wants his workers to have any sort of voice. He wants to say that it was their voice, but it, it's not, it's not us. It's him or whoever else makes those calls. I remember a lecture he gave many years ago. And this was one of those sit down lectures. And he talked about how they were going into new markets in foreign countries and he would basically hire individuals who did not look like that country, did not look like the people who resided in that nation, and things would fail. And he even talked about he sent his best workers, top workers, to get it going and they could not. And then he says, I had an epiphany. I needed to hire people from the country to understand the culture. And it was somebody at I think it was executive level or management level who said, listen, you gotta do it this way because here's what they see, here's what you're doing, here's the blind spot. And he listened, did it, he makes a bunch of profit now because of it, right? So he says it in a way that makes it seem as if he's always looking for that spark that says, ha, I did get it wrong and I can get it right now. I just, I'm perplexed as to why did it not happen here? This is the easy move in my opinion. This is the way you must go as a progressive company. You can't fight this part is unionization. Unionization and progressive policies go hand in hand. It's a protection of workers because people gotta eat, and people gotta live. So I'm still perplexed by the whole dynamic. Have Has there been any conversation or movement from some executive leaders that actually agree with you? Um, I think everyone's been pretty good about falling in line. But mm. I do think that you know, just earlier this week, on the same day as that ALJ decision, and on the same day that Bernie said we might execute some subpoena power, we also had a group of 
white collar Starbucks workers in the headquarters in Seattle stand up and say, we're supporting these hourly workers. We don't, we don't agree with how this company is treating them or how this company is treating this movement. And we want to see a change. We want to see this company stand up and, and be the company that it attests that it is. And I'm with you. This is, you know, they have the opportunity to be the hero here, and yet they continue to be the villain. And that's kind of shocking. From, from the very naive part of me who believed this was a better company when I started with them a dozen years ago, I'm waiting for that epiphany, as you call it, or as yep. Howard calls it, where he says, Oh, you know what? We made a mistake because the world will applaud them and most yep. of them forget everything they've put us through in the last 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to remember the whole concept, right, for Starbucks was he brings in all of these consultants because it's in California at the onset, at the beginning. He brings in these consultants, pays them millions of dollars to look at an expansion model outside of California. They came back and said, hey, you know, we're sorry, but this. This model of you allowing people to just sit and allowing people to use Wi-Fi, that model will only work in this area in California that you are already in. If you take that model and you make it national, you're gonna have a problem. You're not gonna be profitable. He dismissed all of their data. He dismissed it and went with his gut and look, it's a big company now, right? But he did something out of the box that was considered to be damn progressive. And it it was a winner, he won. Now, this is a normative progressive value, not really out of the box. And guess what, Howard, you're losing. You're losing because I'm not going to get another Starbucks coffee until this is remedied. And I'm calling on those that support me to do the same thing. That support progressive values, do the same thing. That support people like Michelle, do the same thing. Thing until they get the point. Michelle Eisen, thank you for your continued leadership. For those who would like to follow your continued fight to be an advocate to make Starbucks the best company it can be, how can they do so? Um, you can find us uh, SB Workers United on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, for any Starbucks worker who is watching who wants to organize their workplace, there are forms and links that you can reach out to through us. It's all anonymous. You know, we'll be able to get you started and have those conversations. We're stronger to bet together. And we're at this point over 7,000 unionized Starbucks workers in just a year and a half. Wow. So. Amazing. Um, I so appreciate leaders like you who are willing to stand up to power. Thank you for your continued service, okay? Thank you for your time. Absolutely. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.